Hello, this is Andrew Gomison with the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm so grateful that you are joining me for this week's episode as we continue to encourage each other on this journey that we call the Christian life. Well, I'm excited today to share with you the balance of my conversation with William Betzelberger of Resilient Masculinity, and we will get to that in just a little bit. But first of all, I want to talk to you about what is going on. I actually have quite a bit to share with you today, so let's jump right into it. The first thing that I want to share with you is a heartwarming story out of Houston, Texas, where a homeless man rescued a police officer from a fiery crash. Get him out of the car for it to explode. So we put him over the car. We took him in the store. He was checking his pulse about his wrist. I was checking his neck. I put my hand over his mouth and nose closely to see if I could feel breath, and I did. That deputy now recovering in the hospital along with the two children, and the suspect is still on the run. But joining us live is our reporter Natalie He, who's been at that scene of the crash all day. And Natalie, this story isn't the only one that unfolded amid all that was happening there today. Tell us what you learned. Well, Caitlin, this is something of what we would call an incredible story born from tragedy. Now, we spoke to that homeless man who helped save the Harris County Sheriff's deputy from a burning vehicle. He's homeless and has been for 16 years. Well, his family hasn't heard from him in almost two and a half months, and they've been searching for him everywhere. Now, they saw his interview on television this morning and came out here to see him. He was on fire. The car could have blown up. I could have got blown up. It wasn't about me. I doing what I was called to do as a human being. It was a news interview just like this one. Johnny Walker detailed how he saved a Harris County Sheriff's deputy from a burning car in a deadly crash and performed CPR. The stuff that comes back to memories that you can't forget. But it was that interview I mean, Wednesday like morning that brought his family back to him. Johnny's been homeless since 2006. His sister, Monica Collins, and their mother, Neil Martin, saw Johnny on TV and raced over from Cyprus to search for him. As soon as we saw his face, we just drove out here and um, just drove the whole area looking for him. And we came to this corner, and there my brother is. Since November, his family's been looking for him. They worried he might have been dead after police said he was possibly involved in a stabbing incident. Johnny doesn't have a cell phone, so Monica hasn't been able to reach him for months. We finally got the police report and were able to go to the hospitals and the medical examiner confirmed that they didn't have any remains of him. We knew that there was hope. So very thankful that everything's coming together. Now, Johnny also found out today that he is now a grandfather. He was absolutely ecstatic when he found out that news. His family is now buying him clothes and food and helping him get better. Just an incredible story all around Caitlin, from his heroic actions to the wonderful reunion for Johnny and his family. From Northeast Houston, Natalie He, Fox 26 News. I want you to notice a couple things about this story. First of all, uh, this man is homeless and down on his luck. We don't know the reasons for his homelessness. We only know that he's been homeless for several years. And yet he sees someone in danger and comes to their aid. And I, I just think that that puts life in perspective because a lot of times we think, well, it's not going very well for me right now. Um, I wish it was going better. If it was going better, then I could help other people. But really, the time to help other people is now, and we need to look for those opportunities to help others and leave the results and our needs in the hand of God, who says, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So that's the first thing I noticed. The second thing I noticed is that God used this event to bring this man back to his family. They had no idea where he is. They hadn't heard from him in a few months. And they had no way of contacting him because he didn't have a cell phone. Uh, but God put him in the public eye on the television news so that his family could find him. So I just think that the story was a really good reminder of the way that God is constantly working in our lives. And we should never discount his work. And we should 
always believe, no matter what is happening, that God is at work and that he has a plan. Well, this past Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so here's a little bit about the history of that holiday. Dr. King was killed on April 4th, 1968, at just 39 years old. In the midst of this tragic loss, just four days after his death, supporters started the campaign to honor the civil rights leader with a federal holiday. The first MLK Day was observed nearly two decades later in 1986. And while Dr. King was actually born on January 15th, we celebrate his birthday each year on the third Monday of January. In 1994, this federal holiday became a national day of service where everyone is encouraged to volunteer. There is obviously much about Martin Luther King Jr. to celebrate. Uh, because he did fight for civil rights, and he did so in a peaceful and loving manner. Um, And he talked about how he chose kindness over violence. That's the legacy that the real Martin Luther King wants to leave. And last year, around this time, I talked about how the overwhelming legacy of Martin Luther King Jr., according to his niece was one of valuing the sanctity of human life. It's kind of a shame uh, that he gets held up by the other side um, for the more liberal pro-choice value, but he really did believe in the sanctity of human life. And as we are celebrating this day of equality, um, I think it's really kind of important for us to consider what that actually means, because we have seen story after story uh, as I have unfolded the news for you over this past year about how equality as our current culture defines it is nothing like equality. We've resegregated graduations. We've canceled holidays because they're somehow offensive to people of other races. Last summer or probably two summers ago now, I did a podcast talking about cancel culture. And one of the things I mentioned was that Martin Luther King had said that he wanted his children to be judged by the content of their character and not by the color of their skin. And I pointed out that Michael Knowles said, we can't really judge people by the content of their character because we don't know what character means because we no longer have a fixed moral standard for that. So it's very important as we consider uh, Martin Luther King Jr. to think about what does character really mean and to get back to a moral standard of the Bible in order for it to be a fixed moral standard that we can all follow. And the culture will tell you that it's archaic, that we shouldn't be forced to follow the Bible, but the reality is that our founding fathers used the Bible as a guide for putting forth their constitutional republic. And Benjamin Franklin said that he um, gave us a constitutional republic if we could keep it. And so we need to fight every day for the opportunity to keep this constitutional republic. The other thing I would like to say regarding Martin Luther King Jr. Day is I think it's good to have this day to honor him and definitely a good day to remind us to serve others. But I am a little distressed that whereas when I was a kid, we celebrated or at least acknowledged George Washington and Abraham Lincoln's birthdays as separate holidays. And now that's kind of melded together into a President's Day. And I just think that's short-sighted. Uh, to take two prominent presidents that were definitely founding fathers of this country and put them in a mix with the other 40-plus presidents and just make it one big day. And often it's just an excuse for sales. And the irony isn't lost on me that on the 15th of this month, so this past Saturday... Uh, Virginia swore in their first African-American 
lieutenant governor, Winsome Sears. And when she gave her acceptance speech, she said that her father immigrated to the United States during Jim Crow. And he said, even during Jim Crow, that America was the best place to go for the opportunities to help his family. Now we have a bunch of people in politics and in other spheres comparing race relations in America now to the time of Jim Crow. And one of my biggest concerns is that when you make everything a racial situation, then true racism does not get addressed. Because I truly do believe that racism exists. But if we're going to deal with it, we need to deal with it on the basis of each individual situation and say, what is going on here? And in certain situations, obviously, how can we do better? This Friday, January 21st, we'll see the 49th March for Life in Washington, D.C. 49 years ago, the Roe versus Wade decision legalized abortion for all 50 states and in conjunction with Doe versus Bolton basically made it legal for any reason. This year's theme for the March for Life in Washington is Equality Begins in the Womb. Hear that, Mom? My heart is beating so fast. Do you have hands, too? I wonder what they will do. Is your heart beating, too? can hear it just like mine do you feel that mom i'm getting stronger can you sing to me again i love listening to your voice will i see you soon i can't wait any longer to meet you see you and you know what you're just like me the founding fathers said we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights which among these our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Some people may wonder why I talk about the sanctity of human life so often on this podcast. That is the reason. Because the fundamental right of everyone in America is the right to life. Without the right to life, no other rights matter. Immigration rights don't matter. Voting rights don't matter. Because... If you're not alive, you don't need to immigrate to this country, and you don't need to vote. So the fundamental right that everybody possesses from their creator, not from America, that's another important distinction. The government does not exist to give us rights. The government exists to protect the rights that we have that are God-given. And I think that is definitely... Uh, an area where our leaders have tripped up in the last year and a half because they've taken the stance that we are the government and we are the ones in position to give you rights. When in fact they are supposed to be the messengers of the Lord to protect the rights that we have been given by our Creator. And I just really like that piece because at the end of the piece that I just played for you, the baby says, I'm just like you. And we need to get back to a place where people acknowledge these unborn children as children. There was a push several years ago when I was working at Right to Life of Michigan to offer women the opportunity to see their unborn babies on an ultrasound before abortions. 
not to force them to, but to offer it to them. Why? Because statistics showed that 90% of the time, if a woman saw a baby on an ultrasound, she would choose life. Because it's easy to say the words, it's my body, my choice. But when you look at the ultrasound, you can clearly see that it's a second body. And if it is not a second body, then why do you have to have something extracted from your body in order to terminate your pregnancy, in order to kill your baby? Sometimes I think that we, even in the pro-life movement, use too sanitized of terms. The reality is that abortion is murder. It stops a beating heart and causes someone not to exist. And we're closing in on 70 million babies aborted since 1973. And folks, next year will be 50 years of this. So we're starting to think about the idea of potential grandparents from the generation before mine who are not with us. That's two or three generations at this point that we have snuffed out in the name of choice. And that is just not acceptable. I will fight for life as long as I have breath in my lungs. My life is not valuable because my parents wanted me. My life is valuable because I was created in the image of God. And as an image bearer of Almighty God, the devil wants to see me destroyed because he hates God's image. I wish people who make excuses for abortion would realize this because even some Christians will make the excuse of, oh, I would never have an abortion, but I can't tell somebody else not to. You know, last week and this week, we're talking about resilient masculinity. I'll tell you what resilient masculinity is. Resilient masculinity is stepping up and being willing to stand in the gap and say, these women should not be deceived into thinking that the only thing they can do is abort their baby. Instead, they should be supported and cared for. I find it interesting that a woman can choose for any reason without the consent of their spouse or their boyfriend to terminate their baby's life. The man gets no say. But if the woman were to have the baby, the guy can be in trouble for being a deadbeat because he doesn't support that baby. So, it's all predicated on the woman's choice. If the woman has the baby and the guy doesn't step up and take care of the baby, he's a deadbeat. If the woman chooses not to have the baby, she's a hero. I just want to share with you a clip from a pro-life rally that happened in Illinois a little over a week ago. Once again, here and across the country, they came together in opposition to abortion as a part of the annual March for Life. Take away birth control, plan B, and anything that is not regulatory to what the pro-life movement does. Not only does the annual rally and march started in 1973 look to challenge the practice of abortion. You are here the year of the end of Roe. We march today for respect for all human life, 
That's the goal that we need to pursue. But also the repeal of the Parental Notice of Abortion Act in Illinois. Across this state and across the Midwest, we are standing up for women. We are standing up for babies. Pro-life, your name's alive. You don't care if women die. Today's effort by anti-abortion supporters, which happens every year around the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court ruling that legalized abortion nationwide, was met with a counter-protest by several pro-abortion rights groups. It comes in, in the midst of this whole attack on, on women and women's rights to choose what to do with their own bodies. So I want to point out a couple things here. First of all, I applaud Illinois for getting a head start on the March for Life festivities. I'm so glad that there are people there that are marching for these women and these babies who so desperately need support. But I find it interesting that even in the description of the YouTube video, it talked about anti-abortion activists having a rally. And then, of course, you heard the the pad answer from the pro-choice side. This is about women and women's rights and the choices of what women do with their own bodies. But what they don't tell you is that you have a lot of choices before you end up in a situation of a crisis pregnancy. Now, I know there are some people that are raped, and that is awful. But the reality is, first of all, that that comprises a very small amount of actual abortions. And second of all, even if you were to concede that you were raped and so you should have an abortion, I would ask you, how does one trauma get corrected by another trauma? The fact of the matter is that forcibly having a baby ripped from your womb, there's nothing natural or easy or amazing about that. And on the subject of rape, I've had someone on this podcast and shared a clip from one other person, both of whom are adults who are pro-life, who were the products of rape, and would you tell them that their lives are not worth living? I don't think so. The thing also that people don't understand about the falling of Roe, which was mentioned in this story by one of the speakers, is that the only thing repealing Roe would do would be to give this decision of what to do about abortion over to the states. Now, as an ardent pro-lifer, my ultimate hope for the life issue is that we would change hearts and minds, but that we would also work for a constitutional amendment that gives personhood to the unborn child. The interesting thing is that the 14th Amendment, which is used to justify abortion, it was a, was originally developed to bolster the personhood of the African American. So the very amendment that bolsters the personhood of the African American supposedly takes away the personhood from the unborn. And in my research, I seem to recall that the 14th Amendment was actually used to save babies' lives by judges before Roe versus Wade. So you take something that was used to save life and prove personhood, and you use it to do the exact opposite. Now, I don't know what's more twisted than that. So as we go forward in this week and as we prepare to celebrate the March for Life and Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, which I believe is the following Sunday, the 23rd, may we cry out to God on behalf of these babies. And may we think about ways that we can help them, because I do believe that it's incumbent upon us to do helping things. Because I definitely believe that there are people out there 
that are doing way more than just trying to preserve the life of the unborn child and not caring for after birth. But we need to constantly be standing in the gap and proving that to the pro-choice side. The people that I know that have been one to the pro-life movement and more importantly to Jesus Christ out of this movement have been won by love. One of my favorite stories is about Dr. Anthony Levitino, who was an abortionist. This lady came to his abortion practice fairly regularly, I believe, and would leave chocolate chip cookies and would simply say, Dr. Levitino, Jesus loves you. And through her influence and through the death of his daughter tragically in a car accident, he began to realize, why am I snuffing out life? when the daughter that I prayed so hard for died in a car accident. Her life was snuffed out. It filled me with grief. And yet here I am snuffing out the life of hundreds of other children. And it wasn't until after he was pro-life that he then made a personal commitment to the Lord. And I just like that story because it shows the journey that we are all on. It's very rarely just a light switch that comes on and everything changes. We have to go through a journey. A few weeks ago I shared with you my review of The Reluctant Convert by C.S. Lewis. And in that film, it talked about his struggle to go from atheism to deism to finally acknowledging who Jesus Christ was. It took time. I don't know exactly who was surrounding C.S. Lewis at that time, but I would imagine that he had friends that were praying for him. And I know that he had a God who was pursuing him. And my friends, I can tell you unequivocally that I am praying for you and that you have a God who is pursuing you. His son Jesus died for you so that you could be changed, so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be plucked as a brand from hell and put on a new road, a road to heaven. That's a choice we all have to make each and every one of us. Well, now I give you the balance of my conversation with William Betzelberger of Resilient Masculinity. I think we need to make sure above all that we are thinking for ourselves because the idea behind our culture is let the government do the thinking for you. Um, Let, let, let the, the medical profession, so to speak, do the thinking for you. Uh, But the ironic thing is that when medical professionals say something that the government narrative doesn't like, then it's all of a sudden not credible. Um, because you're a medical professional, but you're not saying what we think you should be saying. So therefore it doesn't matter. We need to stand up against the things that are wrong. That is where Daniel in the old Testament got his power because he stood up and said, I'm not going to eat the King's meat. Um, and because he stood up and made that stand, um, and because he and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, prayed for an answer to the king's vision. Then when Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were faced with the temptation, when Daniel was off on assignment somewhere about whether they would bow to the statue, they said, no, we're not going to do it. They said, the Lord can deliver us. And even if he does not, we still won't bow down and worship the idol that you've set up. And to me, that is a very significant thing. Even if God does not deliver us, We still won't do it because some people will say, well, you're only praising God and you're only doing the right thing. 
in the eyes of God because you think he's going to give you this massive reward. And it really bugs me sometimes when people say, God will bless you with this, or I command God to bless you with this, because we can't command that of God. We don't know what's going on. Job was the most righteous man on earth, and yet he went through horrible trials Mm -hmm. and things that he did not even find out the answers to um, this side of heaven. And basically God said, I'm God, you're not, so I'm going to do what I think is best. So circling back a little bit, um, you, you talked about how um, you, you serve the, the Lord Jesus and that Christ is not under Caesar's control. And I think that's significant. I, I remember Jesus even said to Pilate, you would have no power over me except it was given to you from above. So basically he's saying, my father put you in this place of power and put you, put you over me. So that's where your power comes from. So that as a segue, could you tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord Jesus in a personal way? Yeah. So again, I, I was homeschooled and I, I went to church regularly, right? That was, I grew up in a very, I'll call it the conservative Christian, you know, lifestyle. I was homeschooled. I was a Christian. I went to church. I, I could probably memorize more. I could tell you more memory verses by the age of 10 uh, than a lot of people, a lot of adults. Um, My mom was a missions major. So um, memory verses was a big thing that she taught us as part of our school. Being naturally into history, I loved biographies. I've got probably 25 or 30 uh, Christian missionary and like Christian heroes um, biographies just here in the house from Jim Elliott to, you know, Hudson Taylor, Amy Carmichael, William Carey. I mean, the slew of them, right? I would say at the age of 13 was when I became a Christian of my own faith outside of my parents, right? Um, because I went to a Christian leadership school from the age of like 13 to 18. I staffed a few years of it. It was run by teenagers for teenagers. And the one of the, the hosts said, you know, you're 13. The world's going to tell you that you're irresponsible. And I'll, he told me, he told the whole group of us, I will treat you like adults but you have to act like adults. So we could have adult responsibilities and adult privileges, but we had to own the responsibilities of that as well. And we had to act the part. And I did, I grew up reading uh, Alex and Brett Harris book, Do Hard Things, and their follow-up books start here. Um, That was, I think I got that for my 13th birthday, if I remember correctly. Um, I grew up in that environment where I was taught to do my own hard things. And 13, I I looked at myself and I said, okay, I either become a man and follow God in this, you know, if this is what I want, you know, it was that, you know, choose for yourself who, whom you will serve kind of decision. And I, I made the choice to follow Christ. And it's not always been easy. There have been moments where I want answers that I don't get. Life would be easier in some circumstances if I didn't know, right? Um, Because I'm not held, as an unbeliever, I wouldn't be as held to the higher standard, right? It would be easier to go into temptation, right? That that would feel good. Um, But because I'm a Christian, because I put myself under submission, to Christ, I'm held to that higher standard. Um, and there have been times where I've had trials because I'm a follower of Christ. And we, we do have a cross to bear. Um, but at the age of 13, I, I made that choice. This is the path I wanted to be on. That is really significant 
because I think growing up in Christian homes, we have a lot to be thankful for, but we also have to realize that we have to make uh, our faith our own because God Mm -hmm. doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. So it has to be a personal decision from each of us. For me, it happened when I was around five years old um, because my great grandfather died and I asked my mom if he was in heaven and she said, I don't know. Cause I don't know what he did with Jesus. And that's kind of what I think about whenever a celebrity passes away, you know, over the last few weeks, you've had some pretty prominent celebrities pass away. We had Betty white and Sidney Portier. And yesterday we got news uh, that Bob Saget had passed away. He was big in my life because I was a huge yep. Full House fan growing oh, up. Oh, yeah. Yep. And so that was very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and people in comments were talking, giving tribute to him, and then talking about enjoying heaven and saying, enjoy heaven. Uh, we miss you. Heaven gained a great soul. But it, at the end of the day, the real question is, what decision did he make regarding Jesus? And if he didn't decide for Jesus, then he's not in heaven. That's, that's an unpopular thing to say, but that's the reality of what we live with because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. So as we're talking about this idea of resilient masculinity, you decided Mm -hmm. recently to start a podcast. So can you, Tell me a little bit about why you decided to do that and what that entails. Um, start out with, I am a external processor. I process by talking. Um, I don't remember when I quantified that, but uh, it's very apparent because my wife internalizes things the way she processes Things that go on, she she does it quietly inside, and, and she, she's very much more analytical in that regard. For me, I've always been a talker, and I I have this message to share. I've got a, a message of bringing masculinity back to the forefront of men's lives and being like, okay, are we going to be men of character? who will stand up in a culture that is pushing against masculinity or are we going to, you know, fade into the background? And when you look at Spotify, when you look at, I mean, I think the most popular uh, podcast out there is the Joe Rogan experience. When you look at YouTube and how that's changed, but I don't believe there's much a bigger platform than that in the sense of getting the word out to people. And if my goal is to impact and influence and inspire the most amount of men with this message, then podcasting would be the best way to go about it. And again, I do like to talk. That might be slightly narcissistic of myself. Maybe I just like to hear myself talk, but it is how I process and it's a good way to communicate to people. And I work in a warehouse, and at our warehouse, we were allowed speakers. We're not allowed to to use our phones much, but we are allowed to have speakers. So I'll download podcasts, and you know I'll listen to podcasts all day. That's what I do. So if I'm willing to do that at work, and I'm I'm sure there's many more people like me, um, then a podcast is a really good way to get the message out. So where is your podcast available? I know I've seen a couple of your videos on YouTube. I'm waiting for it to drop on Apple Podcasts so I can subscribe there because that's my usual route of listening to podcasts. But where is it available now? Currently, it is hosted on anchor.fm slash resilient masculinity. Um, I think if I understood correctly, that's a, a subset of Spotify. Um, it is available on Google Podcasts as well. They 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 handle a lot of the distribution for it. So I'm in the process of getting it hosted on um, or distributed into uh, iTunes 
and Apple Podcasts. So that's going to be coming up here in the next week or two. We will try mm-hmm. to make sure that we uh, let people know when you are available on more platforms. Yeah. But please take a look at William's YouTube channel, Resilient Masculinity, and also look at his podcast on Spotify. And as he comes on other platforms, it will be available there as well. Tell us a little bit about your format so far. So far, my format's just been um, pretty much like this, just without the other person. I've just been talking into a camera with my microphone. So I'm excited about your podcast journey, and maybe I can cross over and join you for a conversation that you want to lead at some point. That'd be awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think my next question, you... You talked about your love for the Bible. So do you have a favorite Bible verse or maybe just one that's kind of a favorite right now that's been helping you through the things that you're dealing with? Yeah. So my, I used to have, yeah, you know, I used to have the standard answer like John three sixteen, and that's not a bad verse by any means. You know, there's no verse of the Bible that's bad, but um, for me, it's, it's been a it's been a more of a reflection on okay i call myself you know i want to be a man after god's own heart right i want to be known as a man of god so but what does that look like practically and one of my wife's uh family members actually got me a mug with this verse on it it's first timothy 6 11 and it's but you man of god pursue righteousness godliness faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Because again, you know, it's easy to be like, oh, I want to, I want to be a man of God. Okay. What does that look like? What do I pursue? Well, you pursue righteousness. You pursue right living. You know, you pursue godliness. You pursue the things of God and what he is like. You pursue faith. You pursue love. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that it's patient and kind and it doesn't envy. It's not boastful or proudful. It delights in truth and it doesn't delight in evil. That's what love is, right? And you even you pursue endurance. This is so important because as you're talking and as you read that verse from 1 Timothy, I kept thinking about what you were saying about how People say, well, I want to be a godly man, but how do I do it? And it's right there in the verse. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's so important is because so often the Christian journey and the Christian discussion becomes, well, can I still do this activity and be a Christian? And that's not the question we should be asking. Mm -hmm. The answer may very well be yes. But the question that we need to be asking is, what are the things that I need to be pursuing in order to be a solid believer and to be leading others specifically as a man, but also no matter who you are, the fact of the matter is it doesn't, it's not about whether you will be an example. The fact is that you are an example to someone and you have to always be cognizant of the example that you're setting. Yeah, you're completely right. And just before that verse that I that I quoted, it actually does talk about, you know, these are the things you flee from. Um, and it says, but you, man of God, this is what you pursue. So we're, Paul's going from Timothy, who is a young man. Okay, we, we don't know how old, but, you know, if, if Jewish culture, well, I guess Timothy was a Gentile. So I don't know how old he was, but probably you know, less than 30 years old is my guess. And the guess of quite a few people. Um, in in this generation, in this time of wickedness, these are things you, you don't pursue. You, you, you get rid of all these sinful things. But what do you pursue as a man of God? These are the things you pursue. And like you said, you know, oh, I, I may not be a leader, right? I actually never held very many leadership positions at work, but I end up leading people, right? My title 
doesn't have coordinator, doesn't have leader, doesn't have supervisor in it. But there are people at work I lead, whether I want to admit it or not, whether I get paid for it or not. Um, there are people who see my example and I have to set either a good one or I set a bad one. And we don't live our lives in a bubble either. Mm-hmm. Everything we do impacts those around us. So I think it's very important to have these discussions and to realize that the best place to be in is to be someone that has Paul's in your life that you can look up to and learn from and Timothy's in your life that you can pour into. And if you put yourself in that position, it really is an ideal place because everything you do and everywhere you go, you can think of yourself uh, either as emulating godliness from someone older than you or uh, modeling godliness for someone younger than you. It, It doesn't get much better than that. Right. So my final question is just something that I like to ask my interview guests in general um, is what lessons is God specifically speaking into your life right now? Right now, God's teaching me his sovereignty and to trust in it. Anyone who has seen my page would know that a few months ago, we announced that we were pregnant. Um, we lost that child to, to a miscarriage, and that's our second one in a year. Um, and we don't have answers to them, right? Like God's not writing in the sky, oh, this is why this is happening. And it's hard. Like it's, we, we lost two kids to, to miscarriages. I don't know why. I don't know why God's putting us in a spot where we're learning those lessons. And I don't even know what all lessons we're learning in it necessarily, like right now. But I have to trust two things. One, that God is God, right? He is sovereign. He is He is the author of life. He is true. And that he works things out for good for those who believe in him. And I don't know the answers. I am not God. Uh, He is, and I have to trust him in that, Uh, regardless of what my heart says and regardless of the pain I feel, I have to trust in him. That's huge, and I I thank you for your transparency. We'll definitely be continuing to pray for you guys. Thank you. Um, it, it, It has to be one of the most devastating things ever to go through that. But I, I think it's important to hear your story because I think there's too much of a stigma on miscarriage right now. We're to a point, even in our Christian culture where we often don't even want to tell people that we're pregnant until, you know, four or five months in because the risk for miscarriage is significantly less, I guess. And then we don't have to face with, telling people and then having to tell people that we're not pregnant anymore. But my issue with that has always been if you had a miscarriage and I never knew you were pregnant, then you, you have to grieve in silence because I, I don't know how to pray for or support you if I never knew that. So I, I want to say thank you for being willing to share that. I'm pretty sure there's others in the audience that will be benefited from you sharing that story. And we'll definitely continue to pray that in God's timing, he will send you the children that he has for you. Um, Because I have to believe in his goodness and sovereignty that that will happen someday. I'm, I'm a, I'm about a stage behind you in that regard because I'm still praying for the one that God has me to spend my life with. But again, that's another one of those discouraging things where there have been a few times when I thought that I had found her and it hasn't happened yet, but God knows the who and the when, and I just have to keep trusting. So I just want to encourage everyone in the audience, whatever it is you're dealing with, Maybe it's one of these issues. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a prodigal relative that you're just praying that they come to the fold 
um, and back to the things of the Lord and you feel hopeless about that. Maybe it's someone with a really bad physical illness that you're praying for. Just know that God cares. His answer might not be the answer that you want, but his answer is ultimately the best. Um, and that's really a conclusion that I've come to over time and experience because I struggled as a teenager with the way God made me, even though I knew that I was a believer, I knew I was headed to heaven. I still struggled and said, God, why did you put me in this wheelchair when if you had given me a healthy body, I could serve you. And I had to get to the place where I realized that I needed to serve him with my wheelchair not in spite of it. And there are still some people that out of a good heart pray for me to be healed. Um, But as I say many times, I believe God can heal me, but I don't believe that it's my right to demand healing or his obligation to heal me this side of heaven. The only thing I do know for sure is that when my wheelchair is a hindrance to my ministry, it will be gone whether that's because of my death or because Jesus comes back or because of some miracle where I actually do start walking, that's up to him. Well, I really, that's good. <laughs> I really appreciated talking to you and guys, I just want to encourage you to, to check out resilient masculinity on Facebook and check out the YouTube channel. Cause William has a real passion for this and I'm just really excited to watch William grow in his ministry. And of course, speaking for him, we'll continue to be here as a ministry, encouraging people on this journey that we call the Christian life. Um, If you resonated with anything that we had to say on this podcast, first of all, we give all glory for that to God. Second of all, please do us a favor and share this with your family and friends. That's how more people get to know about these ministries and get to be benefited and helped through what the Lord is doing through both speaking for him and resilient masculinity. Well, thank you again, William, for being here again. I hope that everybody enjoyed this conversation as much as the two of us did. And I hope that you'll have a great week. And as always that you'll keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.